Well, uh, we are in a series called Emerge Brighter. I hope that you picked up your community group study guide on the way in. If you didn't, please on the way out, grab this. Or if you're uh, watching online, just download it off of our website, front and back. Uh, we're going to interact with this message, and I don't want you to miss out because a lot of what we're asking you to do is right here. We are in a series that is looking at darkness to light. Um, Nehemiah and Ezra, these two books of the Bible, tell the story of how God took people in a dark place, in bondage, in slavery, destruction, and he brought them out and gave them a new opportunity to be a part of his plans and purposes. And for them, physically, it was leaving Babylon, where they had been sent away because of centuries of disobedience. And he brought them back to this land of blessing to build a place, God's house, in Jerusalem. And reestablish for the world the reminder that God's inviting people in. He's not pushing people away. God is inviting people in. And by the way, the church today is the reminder from God to the world that everyone's invited in. We're not closed off clubs. No, we're the welcome mat where people can come and test and see if God's really good. And if this following Jesus makes any bit of a difference. So, so what we, do, we saw last week was four things from Nehemiah that we want to be true in our own world. We're going to build on that as we look at the actual building of the wall today. But a recap from last week, Nehemiah is burdened for God's people. It begins with a burden. If God doesn't touch our hearts and give us a burden for people who are far from Jesus, no change is going to happen. But he's also positioned by God to help until we are awakened to the reality of God's been moving in your life, in my life. God has been setting us up for stuff like this. Then we're never going to step out in faith. By the way, Nehemiah is called to step, take, uh, take a step of faith. He's called to go to the king and say, I got to go back to Jerusalem and build and we know the story that God is with them. The king says yes, but we know it wasn't the king. It was God working through the king. And then lastly, we saw last week that Nehemiah is patient in the process. Just because God gives you a burden today doesn't mean it's going to be fulfilled tomorrow. So as God's people, we want to hear from him and discern what are the seasons to pray, what are the seasons to plan, and what are the seasons to act. All right, every week I've got a driving question. That This question is not on your sheet. It's a bonus. But I want you to write it down somewhere and process it today and this week. What is God calling me to do now to rebuild with our church family? Uh, we're going to look at what happens when Nehemiah calls God's people to build. But now we want to think about not the ancient call to build a wall in an ancient city called Jerusalem, what is God calling me to do to rebuild with this church family? And so if 26 West is the place where you'd say, like, this is, this is my home, this is my church, these are my people, then this message is, is specifically for you. But if you're watching and you're thinking about this church or just church in general, this, this is also for you. But a lot of this is going to apply specifically to people who are in this church. All right, let's just pick up the Bible. Nehemiah 2, we'll pick it up where we left off last week in verse 13. It says, By night I went through the valley gate towards the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Remember, 
Nehemiah had heard about this 1,500 miles away. He hadn't seen it. But now he stops and he looks at the destruction. Verse 14, then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Things were so destroyed, he couldn't get his horse in. So he's just investigating. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. So Nehemiah is patient in the process. He investigates, he surveys, he looks, and, and then he, he's like, I'm going to tell the people something, but I want to see it for myself. Verse 17, then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. He knew it because he saw it. And its gates have been burned with fire. He saw it firsthand. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. If you know the backstory, you realize the king had authorized him to go to build and sent him with the resources to go build. But they, they still hadn't completed the job. And they replied, having heard God's word, having heard the favor of God, this is what they said. Let us start rebuilding. Let's just say that together. Let us start rebuilding. One more time. Let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. Now the rest of that chapter is about some opposition. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, we're going to see opposition and I'm going to table that. Whenever you try to do something in God's name, there are going to be some things that come your way that uh, are, are, are going to come against you. We'll look at that. Steve Marshman is going to give a message next week about how we walk through opposition. You do not want to miss it. But I want us to look at the actual building. So we'll jump down a few verses to uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And Lord, forgive me for mispronouncing these godly people's names. Uh, but when in doubt, uh, listen to this chapter by audio. It's way better than stumbling through and, and laughing at yourself. Eliashab, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuild the sheep gate. So it's a specific spot. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. Now, the men of Jericho... Notice the phrase, built the adjoining section. And Zaker, son of Imri, built next to them. By the way, I did listen to the audio. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of a Hasena, And they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, suggestion for those having kids soon, son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired the next section. Now next to him, Meshulam, son of Bechariah, son of Meshuzabel, made the repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Banna, also made repairs. And it goes on and on and on. I wanted us to see uh, the pattern. For some crazy reason, God thought it wise for us, thousands of years later, to get a list of real people who did a real work in real places. And we get a record, not just of Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, when you read this, you don't know what Nehemiah is doing. The people rose up 
And they stood in their place and they fulfill God's plan. Now, some of you say, Jose, building walls. When I think of walls, sheetrock is all around us. You could take a hammer and smash right through this. Is that like the kind of walls? Don't do that, by the way. Um, we're going to have to repair it, right? But notice this is an actual picture of some of the archaeological digs of Nehemiah's wall. And notice that you see the lady standing on it. That there's, there's a lady up in the corner. That's the kind of wall we're talking about. Big defensive walls to keep the opposition at bay. And so, so what you see is that even though it was broken down and burned by fire, these walls were all smashed so that the locals who decided to stay after the Babylonians invaded, there's no way they could, they could oppose the king. They were smashed to the ground. The gates were totally burned with fire. Um, and this is, a, a, I'll show you just an artist's rendering of the project that they had to build. And look how small the houses are in there. So this is, this is a huge product, a project. The temple, is, the temple mount is up on the upper right and the place where worship happened. And they really rebuilt these walls. Now, what do we, what do we see in the text? As you get that visual in your mind's eye, what's happening if you read chapter 3, it seems like, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. Forty sections of the wall are rebuilt in tandem at the same time. Those of you planners, you're just like, okay, here we go. They had to, they had to orchestrate their efforts where it, it wasn't like you finish your gate and then I build on that. Simultaneously, all around the city, while people are trying to stop them, while people are harassing them, while they have to provide their, for their own family, while the kids have to learn in school, while moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas have to work the ground and eat and cook and clean, in the middle of that, they all with a united voice came together. They built what? What? Gates and walls. The gates are so big that multiple horses and carriages could go in and out to bring commerce uh, the flow of life had stopped. It was hard to get in and out. Remember, Nehemiah couldn't even get his, his mount of his horse to go over a section. So life had been disrupted royally. There were some places to make your way in, but they want their city to flourish. They want their city to thrive. And so in order to do that, they have to rebuild. The, the gates were completely destroyed. And by the way, these gates had to be strong enough where if an oppos opposing army were to come in, if it could withstand an attack. See, these are not these little flimsy doors we have here or the hollow doors you have in your house. You know, <laughs> you can just smash down. These are massive projects. And so you need artisans and architects and builders to make sure that the holes in the walls are protected by gates. And the, the, most of the walls, the rocks were there. But they had been so destroyed, they had to be reassembled and removed and restacked like massive Jenga. And, and they did it all, and they did it all in less than two months. Wow. It's amazing what God did. But I want us to see is if you read the chapter, you see all sorts of people are working. It starts with Eliashah, the, the high priest, the lead religious official, the lead person that God had said, help my people worship me well. He's working on the gate. And the priests are. The reason it starts with the priest, I believe, 
is that it's a reminder to the people that this is not a work project and it's not about walls and it's not about protection. It is about worship. You see, what God wants is people to be able to freely come into his presence and love him and know him and grow. And what God's people ought to do is make sure every barrier to people encountering the living God, every barrier is removed and every opening is made so that people can freely come and live with God. And isn't that a picture of the church? Church ought to be the place where we're the most welcoming people there are in the city. Like, I don't know. Those people, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I don't know if I get it all. But I want to be with them because they welcome me in. We want to be those kinds of people. And the, the walls and the doors and the gates were obstacles holding people back. If you read the most recurring phrase in chapter 3 is next to him or next to them. There was always a group working side by side. And it's a beautiful picture of what it means to be of the body that belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the head, and the, the New Testament description of the church is a body where all of its members, all of its parts work together. Every family took their place on the wall, and in the New Testament metaphor, every part of the body, whether you're an arm or a toe or a leg or a finger or a tongue or an ear or an eye, you are needed. If part of the wall is broken, the city could be destroyed and worship is disrupted. If part of the body is missing, a body doesn't function. So what I want to do is, is take most of our time and think about what it means for us to rebuild. Because if every family takes their place here, what's it going to look like? It's about prioritizing the presence of God in our city. As we think about what building projects mean in Ezra and Nehemiah, what we want to remember is that God's after reprioritizing our lives where worship is the most important thing. And Jesus really is Lord of all. He wants to have the highest place. That song, you deserve the highest praise. You deserve it all. He wants us to live this way, and he wants people in the city to live this way. So here's what he does. He assembles us together and calls us to rebuild. How does this fit with our story? I want to spend the rest of our time thinking specifically about what we've been planning and praying about behind the scenes for more than a year, and I've slowly drifted out. But now the reason I ask you to text a friend who may be missing this is because I want everyone in our church family, everyone who's thinking about this church or loves this church or is part of this church to hear it firsthand and, and do their part. Uh, parallels and things that don't parallel. Uh, they were physically destroyed by an invading army. How many of you know COVID's been bad, but it's not been that? Okay, so their situation with their physical walls were keeping them from physically living safe. And for us, we haven't had an invading force like this, at least this time. The parallels are not precise. But I want us to recognize that we've had a real breakdown in the last two years. And let's just call it what it is. Um, church rhythms have changed. The walls have fallen and the gates have been destroyed. Uh, March of last year, in one week, we went from meeting here regularly and we had momentum like you wouldn't believe. God was just moving in powerful ways. And in one week, with a national announcement, everything flipped. 
and we, we created an online platform and church, I thought it would be closed for three weeks. It was closed for six months. Nobody met here. And we had four or five people who would be here, you know, cheering whoever was preaching on. It was pathetic. <laughs> and, and it was really hard. But out of the six months of people being away, when we reopened, remember when you had an RSVP to church? It's kind of like open table or, you know, whatever your app is. You know, I want to eat at this restaurant. I'm booking at 8 o'clock at this spot. And you know, it's just weird. And then you came in and there was numbers on your chairs. If you go to the wrong number, we boot you out. And, and then you was come in this door and go out that door. Don't touch anybody. Don't speak to anybody. Don't love anybody. Avoid everybody. Come to church. No wonder you didn't come back. We had 50 people at a time. We were going from this room to that room to this room to that room. We had a, sm a smoker machine to kill every German bad breath in the room. It was, it was just, it was, it was weird. Okay, that went away. And then, and then we came back and, and sort of normal but wear a mask. Then there was a small period of time when the heavenly kingdom came. It was like, who cares about the mask? Burn the mask. And then everyone just was rejoicing and, and, and wow. And then they're like, oh, oh. Restitch your mask and, and come back. And can we just say that the rhythms have changed and the walls have been broken down? And by that, I, I think our analogy is, is it has become more challenging for people to re-engage in worship. And new rhythms have popped up because the walls have been broken down. Um, so, so our church connections have changed. We, we saw, and this was the most normal thing for 2,000 years, Church is the people you are connected with, right? But what do you do when everyone's online and so many move away and life changes and you're working from home and you're schooling from home and you're shopping from home? What is church? And so what we've been trying to do is to remind ourselves that what God wants to do in us is what he wants to do in the city. He wants to invite people back because there is nothing that will replace ever human connection. Never. And online is a beautiful tool. And those of you watching online right now, it is a beautiful tool. And for some, it is the, the best way to engage in worship because of a medical condition that doesn't allow you to be here. Or you, right now you're in, you're in Idaho and you're visiting family and you're connected with your family in real time. That's a gift. But for all of church history, your church has not been an ethereal force on the web. Your church has been the people that you go to their wedding and you watch them expand their family, and one day they're buried next to the church. It's the people that God puts in your world. And so what we want to do is we want to rebuild the walls of relationship because we've been pulled apart. And by the way, the whole world's been pulled apart, but the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy is in particular pulling apart Churches from people connecting to one another so he can pick people off one by one. Because I'm telling you, 99.99% of you plus 0.01% of you would also agree, 100%, if you are disconnected from a real group of people following Jesus, the enemy will have his way in your life. You cannot stand alone. You can't. You weren't made to. It's why the metaphor in Nehemiah is a wall and in the New Testament is a body. We need one another. And we need one another more than ever. So here's what I want to remind you of. It's not going to be this way forever. 
I think we need some perspective. And this, this chapter gives us perspective. The walls were broken down for more than 100 years. More than 100 years of destruction. We've had two years. But God says, I'm going to rebuild this thing. And I'm going to put my people back together. And he does it then and he does it now. I don't want to invite you to remember throughout history, the church has had times where there's been struggle. There have been other viruses before that have kept people away. There have been world wars. There's been 9-11. Now we have COVID. This thing is going to come to an end. But before it comes to an end, there's a word from God for us right now. And the word is rebuild. As the church suffers, the church is a part of the city. So when the city suffers, the church suffers. When the city goes through a pandemic, the church goes through a pandemic. But we need to be the people right now who band together and choose to rebuild, choose to reconnect, choose to retie ourselves to one another so that we can help people experience life in Jesus. It's not just about our own emotional well-being. Hey, get me out of my house. Get me out of that house. Love my house, hate my house. When I'm stuck in my house, we need to re-engage with the world. And as the church, we need to re-engage and model to people how we come out of darkness. That's why we're talking about emerging brighter. This is going to pass. Church gatherings are going to get more and more, quote unquote, normal or what we're used to. By the way, coffee's coming back next week. That's one step in God's process of healing people. Oh, you're clapping now, but wait till you realize what it's going to cost. Um, we want to prepare ourselves now, now, so that as other people, and I'm hearing it more and more in our own physical community, as more and more people come out of their homes and we realize the brokenness in their emotional and mental state of being. There's so much carnage right now that's being contained in people's homes because they're not connected yet. We want to be the people that are so connected to one another in Jesus that we're ready to receive them and welcome them. It's like, hey, man, it's been a rough two years. But you know what? God has a plan to set you from darkness to light. And, and let's go and grow together. So I want to relook at chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Here's the word to them. And then the rest of our moments, I want to tease out exactly what we can do to rebuild right now. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18 says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Nehemiah is in it. Everyone's in it. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. So we've all been through a pandemic. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem in our state, let's rebuild the culture of the church and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me, God has favor that the people needed to be reminded of. And I'm going to remind you of God's favor on this church. And when you, they heard of God's favor, they replied, let us, me, you start rebuilding and they began the good work. What does it mean to be a part of rebuilding God's work right now? At least three things I want you to write down and pray through and commit to even starting today. The first is let us gather together regularly. Uh, not when it's convenient or fits our schedule. Amen. Why? It's really hard to be used by God in the lives of people you're not connected with. 
And if all of God's work is relational, God's a relational God, he doesn't send us an email, he doesn't drop us a text bomb, he comes to planet Earth in the person of Jesus. And if the church has always been about presence, we are there together, you cannot love people you're disconnected with. Our community group, when all this happened, we went on Zoom, and it was a new group of people who hadn't met. And we did our Zoom series, and then the next time we committed, because things started opening up to meet in person, same people, same format, dramatically different experience. Because we were in the same space, God began to open up relationships and prayer that wasn't, it wasn't possible with cats and dogs walking in the background with all of our Zoom backgrounds. It, just, it wasn't the same thing. And so what we're saying is, I'm asking you, press in. We want to love one another, not when it's convenient. The Spirit is here and moving when we're together in Jesus' name. Any Sunday you come, there's an open door for you to connect with someone that Jesus wants to love through you. But if you're not there, a hand is missing. An eye is missing. The, the, the lips are missing. And so there are moments when we can't, if you cough and stay home. But if you are able to come and choose not to come, I'm saying stop that. Like enough of that. Two years have led to bad habits where we replace the presence of God with our other simple things. And brunch is great, but brunch could start at 2 o'clock. And if you have to brunch more than counter the presence of Jesus or other people, that is discipleship gone awry. So we want to, like Nehemiah, we want to call the people. We need to be at the wall. And the wall is where we meet to experience the presence of Jesus and love one another. Church matters. Second thing, let's serve one another regularly not when it's convenient. That could be the people in your community group. I want you to see them as brothers and sisters, not occasional friends. Where can you serve? Uh, you could serve in your community. If there is a community, some sort of opportunity in your neighborhood, school, work, where you can join Jesus and loving people in, in spaces out in our city, do that. Don't just see extra time as more frivolous time. Let's, let's serve somewhere. And... Serve God's people here. That's why I asked you to pick this up. We have very specific things we're inviting you to serve in. And the email of the person on our team who wants to point you in the right direction. Her name is Janae. And I'm inviting you to see these things as a gift of God for your life. Jesus said, you want to find life? Give it away. You want to lose your life? Hold on to it. And we learn to follow Jesus by serving one another not when it's convenient. So please, find your spot. You say, I don't have time to serve. I would say, hold it, you have time. We all have the same amount of time. How is your time being used? And is your time being guided by Jesus? Because Jesus may be saying, you have entertainment time and then me time. Time isn't the problem. Priority is the problem. And I'm inviting you to step in to serve. Third thing, let's give to God through your church regularly and sacrificially. I want to say a, a huge thank you. In these last couple of years, we have not had to shrink back from all of the good we're doing in our city and around the world through all of the partnerships. We have not had to cut any of our giving to other ministries we believe in because of your continual generosity. 
And we have not had to make staff cuts out of like, oh no, there's not going to be enough funds because of your regular and sacrificial generosity. And I, I am thankful to God. There are other churches who have been in a real pickle, but you have been faithful. And I want to say thank you. What you do to God in honoring him in returning his resources to do his work has been a blessing and you are champions. Now, there are some of you who are newer or maybe not in that camp and you've noticed your generosity to Jesus has slipped out of fear. Now, if, if your giving or if your receiving has gone down, if you've been downsized, if you've been let go and for a season have to reduce your amount of generosity in the moment, that's completely understandable and probably wise. But at the same token, I think for some of us, we haven't been impacted financially negatively, but our, our generosity has been held back out of fear. And I want to say to you, trust Jesus by giving regularly and sacrificially. And are, are you giving to God joyfully? This is not, if this is hard work that you hate to do, uh, then you don't understand God yet. God is generous. By the way, every breath is his. Everything you're wearing is his. Everything you say you own actually is his. And he says, I love you enough. I'm going to give it to you and then some. I'm going to release to you more than enough. And, and I want you to trust me with it. Oh, by the way, I have some purposes. I want you to take some of that and give it to those purposes. And the joy of giving, I tell you, if you haven't experienced that, I hope in this season you will do that. Some of you have not given to God's work ever regularly, and now's the time to put a brick in the wall and say, yeah. Last week, I reminded you of some shifts that have happened in our story, and I want to recap and finish the story. We're almost 10 years old as a church, and we started Easter. It will be this coming Easter, 10 years. We started in the space, and I never thought we'd be here long. I was wrong. You're 10 years later. But for the first eight and a half years, up until February of this year, uh, an event center runs a space, and we would lease it Sunday only, Wednesday nights as it was available, and a little office on the side that we use 24-7. But we haven't been able to plan anything big and restructure anything big here because it's not our space. But it was a gift. It was so inexpensive, we've been able to give hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to kingdom work. It's amazing. It's like, imagine if your rent was reduced down to 10% of what you're paying now. Some of you think, imagine how much vacationing you could be doing. No, 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 no. We were able to plant churches and do Jesus stuff. Now that changed this year, and so we're in a new season. But God did this, and now he's given us a lease on the space for seven years, five-year renewal, and the first uh, right to purchase it, which is what most excites me about it. Basically, our leaders believe it's time for us to press in and, and build deep roots here. This is our home. And now we're able to guide what God wants to do through us. It's as if we're the people who are around the wall and we're at the time where God says, all right, now do something amazing. And so we get to be a part of that. Um, this church or this building is zoned dual purpose. Some of you who understand building use, church and event center. That's like totally unique. It's hard for a classical church to get zoned as an actual event center and it opens up the door for us to utilize 
this space as the most welcoming place in our city. So we get to use it for more kingdom purposes. And on the days we're not using it, we get to leverage this space and open it up to other groups who will do fundraisers here and weddings here and business conferences here and all sorts of things. And you just need to catch me with this. In time, as people rent it, it will produce funds for us to do kingdom work like we've never done before. Most church communities don't have that opportunity because who wants to do their business conference in a church building? No one. But an open space like this, it's open to all the major companies here and they're going to use it. So we're uniquely positioned in a spot. Now, what we need to do right now is we need to rebuild and renovate the space to make it the most welcoming place in our city. And we need to make the renovations now. Somebody's like, Jose, time out. You're talking about renovating a space in the middle of a pandemic where fewer people are coming on Sundays. Your logic is a little off. Actually, God's timing is perfect. We have this window now where there are fewer people coming to events. And because of the mass mandates, most events are on hold until that opens up. That gives us this unique time to retrofit this and make it what it needs to be so as our world reemerges, we're not lagging, we're ahead, we're ready. What am I talking about? New bathrooms. Why? Our bathrooms. <laughs> Just go in there. And, and it's, it's embarrassing. Now, we've never been in a position to do anything about it until this year. So we thought, what do we need to do? When someone comes in and uses a restroom, it says a lot about an organization or a home. And we want them to be the most welcoming. And so they are going to be double in space and absolutely beautiful. Uh, a kitchen. Right now, when this was all by the event center, there's a commercial kitchen on that side that's not ours. The owners are letting us use it right now out of the kindness of their heart, but it's not ours. So we need to rebuild a kitchen in what was a classroom in the corner. Um, we need smaller spaces for our students to meet in and our kids to meet in. And the reason to do this now is like, why do it now? Our students did uh, an after, uh, after party after the Westview and Sunset football game and invited people to come in with like two and a half, three weeks of planning. But they were like stirred. Let's just get young people together for an after party. And we had 200 people in the room next to us, of which 100 to 150 were unchurched in this space because the door was open and we're, we're able to do it. So this is just a foretaste as the world is slowly reopening and perspective, Oregon is behind the curve. We're the slowest. I travel all over the country and churches are already reemerging and business life is already reemerging all around our country. We're going to get there. This is not a political statement. We're not there yet. But as we get there, we need to be ready. So we need smaller classrooms. So we're going to have in that room uh, two different dividable walls where it will be easy to flex space and go big and small. So we're going to invite you to participate, and I'm going to share how to do that, but I need to give perspective. For 10 years, we have benefited from the generosity of other people. A church uh, that's no longer in existence here built out the space for us. It was another church plant. They spent more than $750,000. This was a fire extinguisher factory. They built every wall in here, 
threw in and redid the HVAC, uh, set up the lighting. Every, we, didn't, we didn't do that. The generosity of a group of other Jesus people has blessed us. The event center took over. They put another half million to a million dollars in the space and renovations over 10 years. We've benefited for all of that, paying not even 10% of the cost. We've been spoiled, family. We've been spoiled with blessing. But now it's our turn to do our part that's going to set the tone to the next 30 years, I pray. Not the next three years, but we, we're, we're setting the tone because we want to be the most welcoming people to help people experience life in Jesus. And in order to do that, hear me, the building isn't going to be a magic pill, but it's going to set the tone for where the people come and stay. And so we want to do it now. Uh, this is phase one of what we plan to do. We already have the architect's design. If you look on your, your uh, discussion guide, on the back, we have some things we're asking you to pray for, but I want you to scratch one off because God's so good, he just blows our minds. One thing we put on there to pray for this week, right in the middle, the fourth thing down, favor with God in the city of Hillsborough on permitting because of COVID, everything gets slowed down. Cross it off. We wrote this sheet on Tuesday. On Thursday, we got our full permits. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So we, so, so cross it off and put a smiley face and say, thank you, Jesus. And so what we're inviting all of us to do is to participate in the multiple phases. Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel came, did his part. Ezra came, did his part. Nehemiah came, did his part. All of those represent groups of people doing their part. It wasn't the leaders. It was the people. And now we're in that phase where, like Nehemiah, we get to build on what others already built before us. What, what's the cost? I wanted to have the bids and the actual uh, construction firm decided by today. We're almost there. We, we've narrowed it down to three companies. I got a bid from one on Friday, um, and the bid from two others will be here this week. I will update you by video and in our weekly so you know exactly who we choose and the exact pricing and the timing. Those things we're almost ready to share, but you'll know it all. My guess from the initial bids, it'll be give or take a million dollars to do phase one that does not include, this room needs to be done as well. The stage actually isn't our stage. Um, the flooring, it's really bad and it won't get better because it's fit for a factory and the, the, the stains don't come up. They, 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 there's nothing that will, so it needs to be retreated. We need actual soundproofing in here. These are faux walls. They're not actual sound treatment. The lighting's not ours. And we need to replace and redo the lighting. We need to upgrade the sound. So there are other things to be done, but we believe that that can wait because this room is functional, but the others, we have to do it now, and we plan to start even as early as January. So we've got a million dollars, which makes me, some of you, depending on your background, say, oh, it's a piece of cake. Others are like, well, a million, blah, blah, blah. Like, how, what? Okay, fear not. Because of your generosity and uh, the wisdom of our leadership team. We have been careful to put funds away in a reserve fund that we have been preparing for moments like this. We can begin the process right now because of your early generosity, but it would be unwise, especially in a pandemic world, to exhaust our reserve funds all on retrofitting the space. So two things I want you to pray about. First is the immediate portion. To start by January, we're praying that $250,000 above and beyond what you normally give, collectively, would come in by December 31st. Totally doable. 
if you simply do your part. Some of you have been so abundantly blessed and you're generous in so many areas and God's positioned you to do it. It'll be easy for you to release it and I'm just inviting you, you pray, ask the Spirit, do your part. For others, it will be sacrificial giving. Like God's gonna say, cut Netflix or get rid of cable or eat out half the amount of times that you do in a month. Why? Because God's saying, I want to build my house and I'm inviting you to trust me because the joy you'll find in following me and obeying in generosity is going to be greater than those other things. And so for a season, God's going to say, you know, I want you to sacrificially give. Either way, what we're asking you to do is simply obey what the Spirit is telling you to do. But we do do know now is the season. And, And hear me clearly, the unique one of this is your Seed sowing, your brick building, your faithfulness now, once it's all done and paid for with cash, as people rent the space, it's going to multiply kingdom generosity in the future. So it's not just about building new toilets so they can sparkle. It is about having a space that fits and will propel kingdom work in exponential ways in years to come. And so 250000 this year, $750,000 we are hoping in the first half of next year. And, and some of you are big-time planners. You're like, Jose, why are you telling me in October? It's because I found out in October. <laughs> this has taken time to bid and plan and architect and, and now get permits. And, and here we are, and we're on the edge. And I feel like, I feel like Nehemiah, just on, we got all the people, and the walls are now. It's like, hey, guys, we're time to build. But it's time. It's time for us to do our part. So I'm, I'm, I'm not begging you. And hear me, our leaders here want to invite you to join in on the project, but we do not intend to make this awkward, okay? We're, we're not about pressured fundraising and a, a campaign that's going to make you cringe. We're here to boldly and lovingly and excitingly say, this is the greatest thing that God's given us in this last season to propel more people experiencing life in Jesus through a space that we know will be used of him. So jump on, and and you ought to be encouraged that God has counted us worthy to be here and now and and generations to come. Some kid is going to come to faith in Jesus, and his entire or her entire family transformed in the next 20, 30 years. The ripple effect when one person comes to faith is enormous and we get to be a part of making it happen. I'm giddy. I'm not discouraged. I'm ready and I'm inviting you to jump in. You say, Jose, well, what do I actually do? We, uh, as an approach and a ministry team, believe that just general giving is what we invite people to do. So we don't, we've never had like 16 funds, pick the thing you like and put money in it. It's just, there's the general fund. We've, we've changed for this season our giving app online and on your phone. If you have the app that we use to give or online, it now has two categories, general fund and building renovation fund. And so I'm just asking as God stirs you for clarity for us and to rejoice if you specifically wanted to go to that, that you please mark it. Many of you, your rhythm is through your own banking. You do automatic giving. 
if you want to do something for the building, can you do me a favor? I know it's extra work, but go in and put a memo on the building because we still need to keep up the regular church operations, but we want to rejoice in your generosity. And some of you, uh, you, you're able to give exponentially through assets. God's built wealth within your family. You have land, you have stocks, you have other assets that have grown in value. It cost you this, and now God's grown it. And maybe it's time to release a portion of that and say, you know what, for this purpose, God, thank you that that small investment has grown. And now with no more actual gift to me, because you grew it, and Tesla or whoever, whatever you bought, you know, whatever that went up, and, 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 and like, wow, you did that. And, and now I'm able to release it to kingdom causes. Do, do what is right and let us know because this will not be a cringe campaign where we're going after you. But we, we want to celebrate and report back your generosity. That was long because it needed to be said. The rest is going to be shared in our weekly and occasional updates on Sundays, especially as to when we begin. And I'm praying by God's grace that all those ships stuck in Long Beach and, and, and in LA that have all of our material, that God is going to bring it for us and that we'll be able to do this smoothly. All right, if you have any questions about any of that, feel free to email me or the team. We want to invite the team to come back and lead us in worship with this question in mind. It's the question we started with. What is God calling me to do now to rebuild with our church family? You've heard the vision. You've heard the what and the why. And now God's gonna enable you on the how as we ask him. So why don't you stand on your feet? If you're at home, why don't you grab your communion? And um, Meredith's gonna lead us in a song and we're gonna, we're gonna worship. I'm gonna come back. We're gonna do communion together. And then I invite you in your group this week, if you lead a community group, spend time praying over all of these areas and we're gonna win the battle by listening to Jesus and calling on his name. Let's just do that together. Lord, we thank you that you're moving for the good of the city and the good of our life and the good of this church. And we're inviting you now, Holy Spirit of God, just simply tell us, what, what's my part? What do you have for me, Lord? Uh, literally, for our family. Lord, what, what do you want me to give above and beyond what we normally do? Because this is the privilege we have to serve you and your people Lord, I want to obey. I want to, I want to be with you, Lord. And so do my brothers and sisters here. So guide us, we pray. And Lord, thank you that our needs are covered. <laughs> You'll supply more than enough to care for us because you're a good father who gives good gifts to those who ask him. We worship you because you're worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.